0: Welcome to another inspirational message from Northwest Church. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you'd like any more information on what your next step may be, please visit our website at northwestchurch.com.au. Okay,
1: we were picking up in 2 Timothy. We started off last week with 2 Timothy chapter 1. And we're going to pick up there again today. We're talking about discipleship. It's personal. And so uh, I'm going to ask Ryan Alderton to come and read uh, this passage, please. Ryan, if you can make Ryan welcome. Verse 8, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8 to
0: verse 12. Thou shalt not put people on the spot. Um... (laughs) I wasn't even listening. Oh my goodness, there's so much writing on this. Okay, run with me here. So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me or ashamed of me his prisoner. But join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. The grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. But it is now being revealed through the appearing of our Saviour, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the Gospel. And of this Gospel, I was appointed a herald of an apostle and a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am. Yet I am not ashamed because I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him for the day. Thank you. Thank you
1: very much. <laughs> Thank you, Ryan. So well read that you've earned yourself a regular on the spot preaching, reading roster. Great. Okay. Well, uh, last week we started with the start of this passage and we identified four things that make discipleship personal. Uh, the fact that personal discipleship asks, what do I need to do? What's required of me to best serve? That I'm willing to actually lay down all of my rights in order to help others come to know Jesus and it's not dependent on what I need to take hold of or what what is God actually trying to pry out of my grasp that I could just easily let go of in order to best serve other people. That actually personal discipleship says, I can't be disqualified because I was never qualified in the first place. I can't be disqualified because I was never qualified in the first place. Um, Personal discipleship declares an intention to live The life that God wants me to because He is Lord. That we don't just get saved, commit our lives to Christ, and then do our own thing for the rest of our lives. No, we actually have an intention to live the way that God wants us to. Uh, That number four, personal discipleship leaves a godly inheritance. It is mandated upon us, if we have any faith at all, to pass that faith on to our children and our children's children and their children. And we don't continue on with that because it gets into a ridiculous Russian doll situation. And, um, Oh, <laughs> that's like the best joke ever, people. Okay, like, I'm going to try it again. Like they pass on to their children and their children's children and their children's children, but you can't because it's a ridiculous Russian doll situation. You <laughs> stop it, stop it. And uh, also that um, personal discipleship has our part and his part. That actually he starts it, but there's a part required of us to live up to what we've already attained. Okay, so we're kicking off tonight with what Ryan just read. And saying that, number one, personal discipleship deals with the embarrassment issue. Personal discipleship deals with the embarrassment issue. It's like a castle going on over here. I'm just going to... Just turn that off for a moment. I find it distracting. I want to know where all those places are. Personal discipleship deals with the embarrassment issue. Paul says here, he says, do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me, his prisoner. Why is Paul saying that? Because there's a degree to which as Christians, we are different and there's a potential there for us to be embarrassed. But personal discipleship deals with the embarrassment issue. You see, uh, we tend to be embarrassed at our point of difference, don't we? We're not embarrassed about the stuff that we're the same as everyone else because we don't need to be because we're the same as everyone else. But there are things in our life that are different about us maybe through genetics or probably mostly through genetics, whether it's in our appearance or whether it's just in the way we interact. You know, some people, they like they really want it. The social settings have buffed off the edges of their awkwardness, but they can't help it. They're just awkward. And uh, there's just something in their wiring that just makes them super awkward, and they really wish that they could change that, but they show up to every social setting and still feel the same. Then there are those of us that look different, and and we feel that as well. We look different to the majority, um, and so we feel that that's our point of difference, and that's where we're likely to get embarrassed. You know, uh, when I was a teenager, um, I was always taller than everyone else. The boys caught up to me in year nine. The girls caught up to me in year twelve. Um, I, I was always stronger than anyone. Still am. Pretty much take any of you right here, right now, any alley, any time. Uh, but no, built strong. I mean, like I was, I was, like I was thick set. Um, but also, I had a slow metabolism and I loved food. They're not a good combination. And, uh, and there was a part of that which I could control, but part of that which I couldn't. And as a teenage girl, my point of difference was different to every one of my friends. And so that was a, a, a point of difference that led to embarrassment for me. Now, the other thing that we get embarrassed about, not our genetical point of difference, but also our family. Can I get a good amen in this place? We get embarrassed of our family, don't we? Like, your awkward uncle cracks me up. I love him. My awkward uncle makes me cringe and I wish that no one knew him. And uh, it's true. Like, your uncle I don't care about. My uncle I get embarrassed of. It's, it, we, ha- we get embarrassed about our family. But Mark 8.38 says that if we, will not, if we will be ashamed of Jesus here, that he will be ashamed of us when we stand before the Father. So we have to deal with the embarrassment issue. We have to deal with this issue. So we just need to settle it. Like we just need to know that it's a point of difference. And so we need to settle it. But let me give you a few pointers on the way to just being totally okay with it. Number one, own it. Just own it. You're different, okay? Okay. So just own it. Who knows that at school, the kids that were different, that coped better and actually thrived rather than just surviving were the kids who owned their difference. I think about Guy Sebastian when he won Australian Idol in 1975. And he who remembers? He, like, he owned the fro, didn't he? Like that was his point of difference and he actually owned it. He didn't was like, oh, I've got to comb that thing down. It was his thing that differentiated him from everyone else. Actually own what differentiates you. Also, number two, don't just, um, don't just own it, but see your positive points of difference. So often if we're young Christians or we're new Christians or um, even if we've been Christians a long time, we only see the things that we're different with that are negative to us until they become positive, such as, um, you know, we can't do this, we can't do that, we can't engage in this, we can't be involved in that. We see all those negative points of difference. But how about we actually own the positive points of difference, that actually we're not going to talk about you behind your back. You can trust us. Because we're not the kind of person that talks about you behind your back. That actually we're not going to get involved in slandering anyone. We're not going to. We're actually going to love and honour you, in front of your face, and when we're away from you, there are a bunch of positive points of difference that we can own with everything because we're Christian. I mean, we need to be different, obviously, but uh, but then we can own those positive points of difference. Um, when it comes to not being ashamed, not being embarrassed, dealing with the embarrassment issue it's only as big as you make it. It's only as big as you make it. I think about the fact, um, a new one, I was at the school fete and a man in our church, we called each other brother and sister. And, uh, and a man came up to me from church and, and I said, oh, hi, Brother Ken. And he said, hey, and, um, And I said, oh, do you want me to call you Brother Ken like in public? Because, you know... <laughs> like I was in year one and six years old and I was embarrassed as hell, so I thought he must have been as well. And he's like, no, of course not. Of course you call me Brother Ken in public. I was like, okay, Uh, okay, sure. But the fact was he dealt with the embarrassment issue. If there had been a friend nearby that heard that whole discourse, all of a sudden that was a thing. But if they had just said to me, why did you call him Brother Ken? I'd have been like, oh, at our church we call each other brother and sister. And they would have been like, oh, okay. Or maybe like, (laughs) but whatever it wouldn't have been that big a thing it just would have been something that I owned and we moved on from but finally as it relates to embarrassment as it relates to being ashamed and Paul's asking them not to be because there's a tendency to be he doesn't need to ask what isn't a, a temptation to be you've got to settle that you will stand out you're actually made to stand out If you've made Jesus your saviour, you are now made to stand out. If you're going to be a disciple, your behaviour should be different. You can't be a city set on a hill or a light that's shining or salt that's bringing out the God flavours in the earth unless we actually stand out. You you, you have to be bland and you have to be under a bushel and you have to have an electricity outage in order to be none of those things that Jesus mentioned. We're made to stand out. So we need to own it. We need to know it. Luke chapter six, twenty-two to twenty-six, twenty-two and twenty-six. Sorry, I think is coming on the screen, or in my Bible, Luke twenty-six, Luke six. Tell me if you get it. See Mark, Luke, John. Luke six says, "Oh, <laughs> wow! Luke's a big book." Um, Luke six twenty-two. It says blessed are you, these are some of the things that you can settle in your heart, blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and you reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Hang on, blessed are you when men hate you. When was the last time when someone hated you, you felt blessed? But Jesus is saying, blessed are you when men hate you. And then in verse 26, he says, woe to you when all men speak well of you. Beware, he says, when all men speak well of you. So there's an element to which we should expect um, people to be put off by us. So let's just settle that. And then he gives us how to deal with it if it does happen. I tell you, you hear me, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who ill treat you. If someone strikes you on the one cheek, turn to him the other also, etc. So he's saying, not only just feel blessed. And men hate you because it's because of me and not because of you, but also just love them in return. Like you've got a, a plan for the times that men come to you and men hate you. You know, Jesus preached a message and everyone left him. The whole crowd, they all walked out. They all just left apart from the 12. And he said to them, uh, you guys still here? And they said, oh, look, If we had somewhere else to go, we would, but we haven't, so we're staying. So be expectant that people are going to leave you, people are going to hate you, people are going to walk out on you, and just deal with it. Deal with the embarrassment issue. Personal discipleship deals with the embarrassment issue. Secondly, personal discipleship lives saved and called. Saved and called. Verse 8 So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who has saved us and called us to a holy life. And it goes on. You see, saved is where we've put our trust in Jesus. Saved has dealt with the sin issue and dealt with the eternity issue. It's dealt with this the the, everything that comes as a consequence of our sin. That's what saved does. But called is where we respond to the divine invitation that he says, hey, don't just stay at your point of salvation. Come along with me and get involved in everything that I'm doing. Don't just avoid hell over here, but come along with me and bring heaven to earth with me. Come with me and live called as well. Find a way of living that you actually feel like getting up in the morning because you know that you're making a difference even in the job that you're in. It says uh, that he's saved and called us to a holy life saved and called us to a holy life there's this set apartness anything that's holy holy means set apart so he says he's called us into this set apart life where you're positively different where you're actually making a difference in the world this concept of saved and called can get a bit misconstrued it can, <laughs> it can become synonymous with just everything just going smoothly and fine And in our Christian life, when everything doesn't go smoothly and fine, we we kind of think, oh, maybe I'm not called to this. Maybe I need to quit on this. Maybe I need to go and find where I'm called to because it doesn't feel smooth and fine. That's not what this means. If you were here in church last Sunday morning, David Moore talked about going to a country that holds great threat for him. And he was asked, why? Like, do you get scared? And he said, well, actually, the safest place for me to be is in the centre of God's will. And that's what saved and called is. It's living in the centre of God's will. I don't know what God's will is. Well, there's a whole revealed will here. We could just start getting about doing that and then let God reveal his personal will to us. Saved and called. Can we throw up Romans chapter 12, 1 to 2 in the Passion Translation? It says, Beloved friends, what should be our proper response to God's marvellous mercies? I encourage you to surrender yourselves to God to be his sacred living sacrifices and live in holiness, experiencing all that delights his heart. For this becomes your genuine expression of worship. Stop imitating the ideals and opinions of the culture around you, but be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit through a total reformation of how you think. This will empower you to discern God's will as you live a beautiful life, satisfying and perfect in his eyes." A saved and called life is one that is attentive to the Holy Spirit and where He's leading, and where He's guiding. You know, in terms of saved and called being feeling comfortable, His very next thing is an invitation to suffering, or just preceding that. Join me, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who has saved us and called us. He's saying that's part of being saved and called is undergoing suffering. If, if you're thinking that this Christian whole Christian thing isn't working out because you feel like you're suffering, maybe it's an indication that it is working out as it's supposed to. Number three, personal discipleship is an ever-deepening relationship. We're going to skip a few verses now and come back to them. Verse 12 says, Yet I am not ashamed because I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Oh, ha, 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 jarred, all you people that don't get to sing songs like that anymore in your face. Um, but he says here, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able. Able comes from the word dinatos, which comes from the word dunamai, which means power. The God is able. He has power to accomplish everything that he wants to. I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. I love these words. They're full of passion and conviction. And how does Paul get there? How does he get there? And what does he mean by that? He says, I'm I'm convinced that he's able to guard what I've entrusted to him for that day. In the original, it doesn't actually say to him. So some versions say what he has entrusted to me and other versions say what I've entrusted to him. But if we take take it out it doesn't matter it's win-win for us he can guard what he's entrusted to us which is the gospel of Jesus Christ so we're not going to fail we're not going to we're not on the losing team here he's able to keep it and guard it or he's able to guard what we've entrusted to him which is our very lives that even if we die we live forever with him it's win-win for us but how does he get there how does he get to a place where he believes and is persuaded that he is able to keep that which he's committed how does he get there Well, it's at the start there. It says, because I know whom. I know whom. I know whom I have believed. How do we get to know whom in a way that has that kind of confidence about it? How do we get to know the one that he's talking about that gives him that kind of tenacity and resilience that no matter what comes his way, even death, that he's going to make it? We can see the answer in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, where he says to them, when I was among you, so 1 Corinthians 2, verse 2 is written 10 years before this last letter to Timothy. In 1 Corinthians 2, verse 2, he says, when I was among you, now that was five years before that, so we're talking 15 years before he knows whom, he says, I resolved when I was among you to know nothing except Christ and him crucified. So at some point, Paul made a decision that he was going to do whatever unlearning was necessary for him as a rabbinical Jew and that he was going to know nothing except Christ and him crucified. Then 10 years later, he writes in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, he says, I want to know Christ and his resurrection and share in the fellowship of his sufferings. So he's gone from a decision and then 10 years later, he goes to a desire and then Five years after that, he gets to a deep down conviction that he knows whom. So it's a journey for Paul and it's a journey for us. So my question to you would be, where are you on that journey? Have you yet decided that you're going to know Christ? Have you decided that he's more important than anything else in your life? Then has that moved to not just a decision but a desire that, that now you actually really want to? It's not just a resolution, it's a desire. And are you at the point yet where you have that deep down conviction? I I, I don't know that heaps of Christians have, where they just know that they know that they know that God will come through for them. That it may may not look like they thought it would. It may not be how they thought it would be. But God will come through and will have his way in the end. Are you At that point yet. Because personal discipleship is an ever deepening relationship with him. Personal discipleship isn't I made a decision for Jesus and that's it for the rest of my life. It's an ever deepening relationship. All right, I'm gonna see if this works now. Yeah. It's a very big TV. Okay. because we haven't even gotten to the middle couple of verses, but we're going to finish with these. So it doesn't work in two seconds. I'm not. I'm just going to give up on it. Okay. Oh, okay. All right. We'll finish with this. No signal. I hate you, TV. Okay. Okay. Hate's a strong word. You shouldn't say it, children. Um. Okay. I'm just going to go with this. This this structure, which I wish I could show you because it's a bit hard to see is a chiastic structure, and Paul uses it regularly, where he starts with something and then finishes with something. And then he moves to another thing and then uses that second last in in his passage. And then he moves to something else and uses that third last. And what the point is that there's something in the middle that happens that blows our minds and is the most important point. So here we go. In verse 8, he says, So do not be ashamed to testify about the Lord or me, his prisoner. And then at the end of this passage, he says... Um, because I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of this one whom I've believed and am persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed to him against that day. Then he says, and don't and, and and be joining in in the suffering for the gospel. And then he says over here, I'm suffering for the gospel. I'm the one suffering for the gospel. And then he moves to um, A, B, C. He moves to uh, that we live saved and called to a holy calling. And then we go C, B, A. But in this C, he says, I'm Paul, I'm an apostle, I'm a herald, and I'm a teacher of the gospel. So what's in between? What are the few lines that are in between here? I'm going to read them to you tonight. Not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Saviour, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. I don't know how you feel about the Christian life, but this freedom that he brings through his free gift, is nothing short of stunning. It's been revealed. It's saying that this was not plan B for God. God didn't go, you know, this is a question that we have so often. I get so often in Scripture class. Um, Well, why did God create us if he knew this is what we'd do? Well, because God already had a plan worked out for what he knew we would do. He wasn't like, oh, Adam and Eve sinned. Ugh, conference, what are we going to do, heaven? What are we going to do? We've got to come up with a plan. No, no, no. It says that even before time started, even before the day rose and set, that he had a plan for us. It says that that the grace was already there before time began. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. But now it says, now we see him and it's been revealed to us in the person of Jesus Christ. And not only that, but when Jesus has come, He's destroyed death by rising again. And not only that, He's brought immortality to light by being the firstborn of all those who have been resurrected, the firstfruits like you and I will be one day. Why? Well, not because of anything we've done, but because of who He is and because of His own purpose and grace. It is magnificent. 2 Timothy chapter 1. says we had nothing to do with it we had nothing to do with it it was all his idea a gift prepared for us in Jesus long before we knew anything about it but we know it now since the appearance of our saviour nothing could be plainer death defeated life vindicated in a steady blaze of light all through the work of Jesus so good
0: Hey again, thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring faith or a follower of Jesus, there is a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued, and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, head over to northwestchurch.com.au. And thanks again for listening.